0: In today's gospel, Jesus begins calling his apostles. Now, when we listen to the story, there's something right and peaceful about it. Matthew here is showing us that at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, this is exactly what Jesus' ministry is essentially all about, calling people to him. Now, keep in mind, Jesus comes as the second person of the Holy Trinity, which means he comes as a representative of that divine communion between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, what Jesus proposes is to bring the power of that divine communion into this world for us. So, by the very act we see here of Jesus gathering people around himself, first with the apostles and then us. And that's essentially his entire life and his entire work, gathering people. Now, what is important is Jesus is doing the same thing, even today in our day and age. Jesus is now gathering us to himself. And so when does it start? Well, at the moment of our baptism. See, this is one of the reasons why I always say baptism is the second greatest event in our life. All of us are baptized in the name of Christ and have been drawn into The Holy Family of the Holy Trinity between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I think that's why we find this story so rich. In the story, it says Jesus was walking along by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Peter and Andrew, casting their net into the sea. They were fishermen. Now, notice first, it's not just by accident that Jesus runs into these apostles. Jesus just doesn't stumble upon them. No, the Greek words that are used here is, Jesus focused his attention and watched intently Peter and Andrew. Better yet, God himself was watching them. Now, the story continues. They were throwing their nets into the sea. Well, God takes delight in us and the good, simple things that we do in our lives. Saint John of the Cross once said, Imagine God looking at you and smiling with delight. Now imagine Jesus looking at Peter and Andrew and smiling with delight at the beauty and the simplicity of their lives. Where else do we see that? We'll go back to Genesis, in the fall before the fall of grace. It says that God walked an easy friendship with Adam and Eve in the cool evening of the garden. Now, if any of you have ever lived in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran, the Holy Land, the cool evening is always the best part of the day, when the sun goes down. Now, everything is more comfortable. Well, that's exactly when God walks with Adam and Eve. Which means what? God wants easy friendship with us. What happens after original sin comes into this world? Well, according to the story, Adam and Eve, they cover themselves because they're ashamed, and then they hide from God. Now, God comes into the garden, prepared to stroll again with Adam and Eve, and he finds they're not ready. In fact, they're not even there. They're hiding from him out of shame. And there begins the tragedy of sin. We have to remember, we have a God that wants to walk with us in easy friendship. And yet, sin forces us into hiding away from God. Now, after the fall of grace, the whole Old Testament, I would say, can be summed up in one sentence. It's the story of God hunting us down, hoping to walk with easy friendship with us again. And so, God sends prophet after prophet. With the same message, I am your God, and you are my people. See, God wants a covenant of love with us. But what does sin do? It always drives us away from God and into hiding. Now next, Jesus, he, yes, he looks at the apostles with God's eyes with delight. He comes seeking after them. Jesus, God, again is strolling. In this case, he's strolling, not necessarily in the garden, but on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Once more, he's walking with us in easy fellowship, just like he did in the garden. Well, now he's doing it with the apostles. Now, he tells the apostles, come after me. Here we see a typical way of God. God is not simply a force or a distant figure waiting for us to find him. No, it's just the opposite. God is seeking us out. He is the one that always takes the initiative. I'll give you a good analogy of this. Remember the story of the prodigal son? At the very end, the son comes to his senses and goes home. And yet, when the father sees him, it's the father who takes the initiative. The father goes running after the son to forgive him, and welcome him back into the family. Well, here we see the same thing in this story. Here, in fact, we see the initiative of God's grace. Remember what Jesus said to the apostles in John's Gospel. It's not so much you who chose me, but I who chose you. And so, Jesus, he approaches the apostles in a very direct way. He says, come after me. Well, right there is the heart of the spiritual life. Not so much finding God, but instead allowing ourselves to be found by God. God does nothing but seek us out. Therefore, let yourself be found. That's the first move in the spiritual life. Now, he says, come after me. What is he really implying here? Well, discipleship and what it means. What it means to follow Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't say to the apostles, accept my teaching and then you can be my disciple or abide by my doctrine and therefore you can follow me. No. Instead, what he's really saying is walk as I walk, move as I move, think as I think. Jesus is really calling the apostles into apprenticeship with him. Well, the same thing holds true with us. You know, whenever we come into Mass, We move and live like Jesus, just as he moved and lived. Then he says, I will make you fishers of men. Well, take that small statement, I will make you. Where else do we find God saying the same thing? Well, in Genesis chapter 2, God makes and forms Adam out of the clay of the earth. Here's another important aspect of the spiritual life. Allow yourself to be made by God and formed by God. What's the tragedy of sin? The person essentially wiggles out of the hands of God and instead says to God, I make myself. I will determine who I am and how I will live my life. Spiritual life is not like that at all. Instead, it's about letting yourself be made and shaped by God. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? The very end, Jesus says, be perfect as your Father is perfect. We have to realize every teaching of Jesus Christ, whether it's the commandments, the Beatitudes, love one another, is meant to move us into a concrete imitation of God. Such that what? The whole spiritual and moral life looks like God's own life. He says, come after me, so I'll make you fishers of men. Well, there is God's passion. God's passion to draw all people to himself. That's his mission. What is Jesus really saying? I want you to be like me. Now, one last thought. Notice how the apostles respond. It says, at once, they left everything and followed him. Now, that's very interesting Why did the apostles respond so quickly? Why didn't they say, well, why don't you give me some time to think about this? Immediately, they responded. They dropped everything, literally. Well, it's because Jesus stirred the image of God within them, and they saw that and responded. Go back to Genesis again. Chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our own image and likeness. What does sin do? Well, it obscures that image. That's why Adam and Eve hid themselves in the garden. What is Jesus really doing here? He's stirring up that image with the apostles. The apostles see that image and likeness, and they immediately respond to it. Well, we always have to remember, we too, all of us, are created in the image and likeness of God. Our whole life is to be like Jesus. What must we do? Let the Lord God stir up that image and likeness in you. And in doing so, Jesus will always be at the center of your life. And just like the apostles, you too will always be a follower of Christ. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.